0: What if, at the very moment that your product is taking off, you can't get it to eager customers? Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Economic fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic hit everyone hard, but few companies faced as big a frustration as zero shoes. The maker of innovative lightweight footwear for running, walking, and athletics was hitting it big in the marketplace when a combination of supply chain issues, including skyrocketing ocean freight rates from Asia, container and chassis shortages, and other logistics obstacles began disrupting efforts to keep its best-selling product in stock. Fortunately, the company had placed a bunch of new orders with its manufacturer in 2019 in anticipation of blowback from U.S. tariffs on Chinese goods, and that positioned it nicely to keep selling in the States when the pandemic hit. But other problems cropped up that threatened continued success. So now, in the midst of all that pain, how do you cope with a 90% rise in sales in the course of a year? Today, we get the story from company president and co-founder Lena Phoenix. Here's our conversation. (music) Lena Phoenix, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Tell me the
0: story of Zero Shoes. How long ago did you form it and what was the thinking behind it and the whole idea?
1: So we started this company in 2009. My husband had gotten back into sprinting at the tender age of 45 and he was really enjoying it, but he was getting injured very frequently. Around that time, a gentleman named Christopher McDougall had written a book called Born to Run about an indigenous community in Mexico where running was how they commuted and they ran well into their 70s and 80s in thin sandals without anywhere near the rates of injury that happen in our country. So he became very intrigued and wrote a book about a number of different things, but had to do with running form and how going barefoot or wearing a shoe that is minimalist in nature can help your body obtain more optimally biomechanical form, I guess is the way I should say it. And so Stephen gave that a try, and he very quickly discovered that that was true for him, and he wanted to be barefoot all the time. And I said, well, I don't want my rugs to be dirty, so you got to figure out something for your feet. And so he started making sandals, and for the Boulder Barefoot Club where we were at the time. And after the third round of this, somebody said, hey, why don't you put up a website? I'm writing a book. If you put up a website, I'll put you in my book. And so we were working on another project at the time, but it seemed like, ah, we'll throw it up, see what happens. And within six months, it became very clear to us that there were a lot of people who were really unhappy with their shoes that were looking for a solution for something that was more comfortable. And we'd really hit a nerve. And because it was deep in the middle of the recession, Mm -hmm. we started out selling just do-it-yourself sandal kits. So there was some other competition on the market, but it was fairly expensive. So people had the opportunity to buy a $100 pair of shoes or a $20 sandal kit. And so that's that's really how we started. And mm-hmm. after a period of time it became apparent that there was just real demand for this type of low-profile footwear with a wider toe box, zero drop, so there's no lift in the heel, elevating your posture in an unnatural fashion. And that had a, a flexible sole that allowed your feet to feel what was going on underneath them. So we have since expanded into a full line of sandals, casual shoes, and performance shoes and boots for activities from everything from paddleboarding to hiking to walking around uh, downtown Denver to climbing up Kilimanjaro, which someone has actually done in a pair of our lightweight hiking wow. boots.
0: What about the, the nuts and bolts of it, of course, come along with the, with the great idea. Where did you decide to source your materials and your production?
1: Well, because my husband and I knew nothing about footwear or consumer products, we were fortunate enough to meet with a sourcing group, and they put us in touch with a manufacturing agent in Korea. And so we began our sourcing there. We found out very quickly that we were not a particularly desirable customer because all we were making for this sandal kit was an outsole. So it it was just not very much money for them and our customers were particular one of the benefits of the type of footwear we make is that it's very lightweight and so when we got a batch of soles in where the right sole weighed 15 percent more than the left sole and we said hey Hmm. this is a problem for us they said well you're too much trouble and they fired us so that was interesting Fortunately, we had been networking in the community and were able to connect with another sourcing group based out of China this time. And they said, yeah, we'd be happy to help you. We, We had looked at sourcing in America. Unfortunately, most footwear manufacturing went overseas in the 80s. And so there's very minimal capacity. And the pricing for what was available was three to four times what we were seeing. And we just didn't think that people would be willing to pay $80 for a shoe they had to make themselves.
0: That is the concept. Is They come in a kit then, right? You
1: well, know. that's how we started. We do still sell that kit, and we sell quite a few of them. But now it's all about the ready-to-wear. So mm. we have very high-tech athletic shoes, waterproof hiking and snow boots. We just have everything from a, a casual knit shoe to casual sandals and more dressy leather shoes and everything in between. So we started with a do-it-yourself kit, which is where our misadventures in sourcing began, but we have since moved into a full line of shoes, boots, and sandals.
0: Okay. So China is your, was your source of production, which, yeah. of course, along with that, along with the advantages of the low cost and the uh, availability of the capacity to make your product, you have, of course, distribution issues. Along comes the pandemic. Yeah. What happened?
1: We actually were in a decent position to weather the pandemic because the trade war had hit us very hard in 2019. There was a great deal of supply chain congestion in 2019. We're a small company. We don't have monthly production runs. We order twice a year. Maybe we would have four shipments a year. But if we needed to fill in, our lead times were quite long. And so when everybody was trying to rush goods into the United States in advance of threatened tariffs, our product got caught in Long Beach and sat there for four Five weeks, um, wow. while our freight forwarder threw up their hands and just said, "Yeah, we don't know when it's going to leave. It'll get there some days." <laughs> so we lost a good couple months of selling season in 2019 in the in the spring, and then another couple months in the summer because of the complications from tariffs that had not even been applied to our product, but were just gumming up the supply chain in general. And so in late. 2019, it was still very uncertain what was going to happen with the tariffs on footwear. And so I brought in a lot of product in anticipation of tariffs going up, which they actually didn't do, but it put me in a very good position to weather COVID. So in retrospect, I looked like I had a crystal ball, but it was just, I was reacting to the trade war and As a result, I was well stocked for COVID. And then when the pandemic hit, of course, that was terrifying as we are... At this point, about ninety percent direct to consumer, we have some good wholesale accounts and some good international wholesale partners. But the majority of our sales are through our own website or amazon and so when that week in March, where everyone went into shock around the world that mm-hmm. oh my gosh, this is actually happening, we saw our sales just drop by two thirds and we thought, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And we began to hear that some manufacturers were canceling their orders with the factory. Because of our size, I didn't think that was a good idea. So I kept my orders in place. And by May, it became clear that we were actually rebounding pretty quickly. Footwear in general and outdoor footwear in particular tend to be quite recession resistant because if you can't travel, then taking up running or getting a new pair of hiking boots, those are low investment activities that people can do close to home. And there's an educational component to our product. A lot of people think that they need all kinds of bells and whistles and padding on their shoes. And so my husband had made a marketing video that was just a kind of a long talking head 10 minute video. And we didn't think it was going to work well as an ad because it was 10 minutes long. But apparently, when everybody was at home in April stuck in front of their computer, Googling, why are my shoes so uncomfortable, they started to stumble across this video. And so we grew about 90% last year. And part of that had to do with having aggressively bought for the beginning of, of 2020. If I had canceled my orders... That would have really put me in a bad way because we're a small fish in the Fulbright yeah.
0: pond. Well, it was a combination then of your having, kept, have, having built up a lot of inventory and keep the production orders going at the same time then, right? You yeah. still had product coming in from the manufacturer, and then you were also sitting on a pretty good pile of inventory yeah, here here in the U.S.,
1: That's exactly right. Because of our size, we often have to order, like if we bring out a new style, we tend to order fairly conservatively, but there are certain minimums that we have to meet. So when we do that, we don't know, is this going to be, are we buying a season's worth or a year's worth? We have to get some data behind us before we know. But on our products that have been out for a while and do the lion's share of our business, we went long on those, had lots of those in stock and actually became a little bit of a hero to the factories that we work with because our business gave them an opportunity to keep their workers employed. And so while we normally space out our deliveries for cash flow purposes, they just made everything and said, hey, we'll give you longer terms, because you're helping us keep our workers employed. So yeah, so we were in very, very good shape until May. And that's when the latest supply chain situation caught up with us.
0: But you had that situation, as you say, in 19. Yeah. You already had delays at the Port of Long Beach. Yeah. Uh, and did that continue throughout 2020? Or did that kind of abate and then come back in May of this year?
1: was challenging to get port. When I started moving freight, it was four weeks door to door. And then it. I started budgeting in five. And then it was like, maybe we should be thinking about six. And right now, I heard a quote the other day that it's 75 days for a container. And this is not just from the port in China, but to Long Beach and through Long Beach to Mm -hmm. Denver where we are located. So there's an extra leg there and all of the difficulties that can happen with the truckers and the rail yard and everything like that. We've seen just about all of it. So
0: throughout 2020, was that a problem, the congestion problem throughout the year or did it kind of come up and then come back more recently?
1: It was not a material problem for us. We were building in longer lead times and the factories were shipping our product early. So even if the Transit time was a little longer. It didn't affect us personally.
0: Also, you had, did you not have problems of getting enough trucks once the stuff got out of the port? Did you have enough over-the-road capacity to get the stuff to Denver?
1: Traditionally, our goods have come by rail. I first learned what a chassis was in 2016 when there Uh was the Longshoremen's Union on the West Coast was renegotiating their contracts and goods were having a very hard time moving through long beach and i was told that there was a significant shortage of chassis it's my understanding that quite a few companies have gotten out of the chassis business because with all of the disruption caused by the trade war and everything else some customers were finding it less expensive to pay the overtime fees to just keep their goods in a container on a chassis rather than have to store it. And again, my understanding of this is secondhand. I just, from one of the many supply chain calls I've been sitting in with with everybody else trying to figure out how to navigate the current situation, which is unlike anything anyone's ever seen, it does seem that there are fewer people controlling chassis and there are fewer chassis around. So we had a container come into the rail yard in Denver, and it sat in the rail yard for four weeks while they waited for their chassis provider to deliver a chassis. And our freight forwarder said, hey, we have a chassis, we'll come get it. And they wouldn't let them do that. And we were just down the street and said, we have a truck, we'll come get it. And they wouldn't let us do that. So that was really maddening because it was in-season, key best-selling product that we were out of. Lost
0: sales there. A lot of
1: lost sales. Yeah. And yeah.
0: The meanwhile, you're carrying this inventory on your books at this point, are you yeah.
1: not? Yeah. Yeah. We've paid for it. It's... Oh, uh, my goodness. Yeah. I also
0: heard that you tried to purchase certain textile materials, too, as, as a way of getting around some of the uh, some of the problems. Was that is that true? And
1: how did that work out? We've discussed that. We've discussed, do we pre-purchase certain materials... And that's less of a supply chain issue than it is simply a lead time issue. We use a lot of high-quality materials in our shoes, and some of them come from Japan and some of them come from Taiwan, and there often can be a six-week lead time on those materials. So while a shoe that has been in production for several seasons shouldn't have a three-month Reorder lead time, often it does because it can take six weeks just to get six to eight weeks just to get some of these higher quality materials that are coming from outside of China. So, we were talking about pre purchasing materials and holding them so that if our sales increase, because that's one of the the particular challenges of our business, we've been growing very, very quickly. So, it's one thing to forecast how much you're going to sell when you're growing at a fairly steady rate or 5 or 10% a year but we grew 90% in 2020 over 2019 and when we order with our most optimistic eyes this is part of the challenge we placed our order in July for spring of 2020 One, we placed our order in July of 2020, which was still in the middle of the pandemic. I was very anxious. Are people going to go indoors? Is this going to get much worse? Is there going to be a big economic collapse? So we ordered as much as we felt like we could reasonably risk and as much as we could afford. But it wasn't after three or four months where we thought, oh, gosh, we totally underestimated. Yeah, the, you
0: certainly didn't order for 90% growth. I think most order. companies don't do that.
1: Yeah, we <laughs> That didn't. would
0: be pretty risky.
1: So we had fill-in orders that were scheduled to uh, start shipping in May. The first clue that this was a whole new world was that it normally takes us a week to get a booking, and our freight forwarders said, we can't get you a booking for three weeks. And then the price they were quoting us for the container was two and a half times what we normally pay and we were like, oh my gosh, but we were hearing noises and so we thought, okay, we got to do what we got to do. And then when the shipping date rolled around, we had 12 containers in this booking. And our freight forwarder could only get their hands on one container because that was when the feeding frenzy had really begun. My understanding is that people were bidding up spot prices on containers and they were just going to the highest bidder, who, people who were paying $20,000, $25,000 for a container. Yeah. Our forwarder could only get a hold of one and then, then it became a real scramble.
0: 12 container. Are these 40-foot containers you fill up?
1: Yeah, 40-foot high cubes.
0: Wow. Okay. I mean, I, I understand you're saying that they're infrequent. You don't do it many times during the year, but th- those are big shipments for a one-off or or infrequent shipments. Yeah. You, you, know, you, you need a lot all of a sudden. So, okay. So where are you today? We're still looking at severe congestion in Southern California ports. Are you meeting customer demand right now? And uh, are you applying any lessons that you've learned from the last two years to going forward? I mean, what's your thinking Uh, as you look to the future?
1: Great question. We have been out of stock on our bestsellers for a couple of months now. We did make the painful decision to air freight in some product because even though we were able to get a hold of a few containers here and a few containers there, we have a a new product launch in August. And that's a time sensitive thing. We have retailer orders that we need to fulfill. So we had to bite the bullet and airship in some products. So I think for me, I'm a very conservative person, and it costs less money to store product for maybe longer than is ideal than it does to when you are out of stock and a customer that you spent a fair amount of money trying to get to come to your website finally comes and wants to buy and you can't sell them. That lost sales is... They'll look
0: somewhere else if they can, for sure.
1: Exactly. And so over the years, as we've gotten larger, people have said, oh, you need to be turning your inventory more frequently. You need to focus more on a just-in-time type supply chain. And I, I think there was that famous story about a, a auto plant in Detroit getting shut down because they couldn't get a door hinge out of <laughs> Asia. Yeah,
0: we've, we've seen what happens with the just-in-time strategy without buffer stock or safety stock to back up what's been going on. So.
1: Yeah, and so that term safety stock – that is one that I am now throwing out in every meeting. It's like, okay, yes, and what's our safety stock? And let's be a little more aggressive on the safety stock. And, and we just rented a 86,000 square foot warehouse because storage has always been an issue for us as well. We've got a patchwork of facilities right now in one park.
0: You'll keep it all in the Denver area?
1: Yeah, we'll keep it all in the Denver area, but we're doing milk runs between one suite and another, and it's just not very efficient. So we're excited to move into our nice new big warehouse and have lots of safety stock so that we can keep putting up those growth numbers. It's going to be interesting. I'm curious what you're hearing about how long this is going to last. What do you have any uh, insights...
0: It's anybody's guess, but I I think it's considered that through the end of the year, it'll probably remain this way. Yeah. Um, Especially as we get toward the tail end of the Christmas shipping season, which started earlier for the same reason that you said, that a lot of people wanted to bring their stuff in early to avoid problems in the fall. But from what I hear, and who knows for sure, we're looking at a few more months of this. And so uh, you're going to have to just... Buckle down for a
1: little longer, I guess. We're hearing at least that as well. And I think one of the things that's been interesting talking to companies in other parts of the country, the West Coast ports got so bad that apparently there's been this ripple effect where clients were saying, just Let's just skip Long Beach and take me to Houston or Savannah. And Mm -hmm. then those ports became massively backlogged. We talked to one forwarder who was bringing everything into Vancouver and then moving it across the border. And then the fires started up there and shut down the the rail lines. So there's no easy answers that just seems to be the, the case. I'm not a supply chain expert, so I know there's...
0: You are lot- now. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, you said you didn't have any experiences. I think that you and Stephen uh, got quite an education in the last five or six years. I
1: think everybody who's shipping goods is getting quite an education right now. Um-
0: Well, Lena Phoenix of Zero Shoes, I wish you all the best in your future endeavors with this company. It sounds like you're managing to stay afloat though through these hard times.
1: We Um, have been. You're
0: optimistic.
1: Yeah, we are very optimistic. We are extremely fortunate that we are large enough now that we do have options to mitigate some of these issues. It's certainly going to have an impact on us, as it is on everybody, but we feel very, very lucky Mm -hmm. to be in the situation that we're in and that we have such high demand and customers who are very loyal too, and enthusiastic about our product so that they are willing to wait. We'll certainly lose some new customers who went to the site and couldn't find anything and left, but we have a strong, responsive email list. And so when we let them know that stuff is back in stock, then hold on to your hats.
0: The downside of success is much better than the downside of failure. I, can, I think that's probably one of the lessons we've learned here. Anyway, Lena Phoenix, again, uh, of Zero Shoes, thank you so much for sharing your time with me to tell me your story. It's a fascinating story about your company. And again, uh, best of luck in the future. And thank you very much for sharing.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: That was my conversation with Lena Phoenix of Zero Shoes, talking about how her company is dealing with success in the midst of the pandemic. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rboman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.